is Amanda. And this is Chris. And this is Vocal Perspective. Well, hello, everyone, and welcome to Vocal Perspective. We are here for episode 96. Every time we the number gets higher, I can't believe it. And Chris is not here today. She had to go do her actual job, but she is super sad because I have been talking up this guest to her for years just as a human, not just as a guest. But I guess we've been friends now for over a decade. We met via Facebook, yes. and this person was someone that Bill Hare told me, hey, you and she would really get along really well. I said, oh, all right. But also she's a swingle singer. And I'm like, oh, okay. <laughs> like, I'm just going to reach out to a swingle. But then she popped up as a person I may know on Facebook. And I said, okay, I'm just going to send a request. And she accepted. And then she promptly fell in love with my, at the time, one-year-old son. And we became <laughs> fast friends. And the rest is history. I'd like to welcome Miss Claire Wheeler. Hi, Claire. How are oh, you? Hi. <laughs> I'm good. How are you? I'm good. I was thinking about all of how we met as we were leading up to this interview. And I, first of all, I can't believe it's been a decade, more than a decade. Really crazy. And And also time has no meaning anymore. No, it it doesn't. (laughs) I mean, the last two years are like as long as the eight years before that. So right. So most people in this community probably know you as a swingle. But let's go into a little bit of before that time. Like, how did you get into this vocal world and acapella? Oh, very interesting. Well, I can't remember a time when I didn't sing but I do remember, you know, annoying lots of people with singing all the time. (laughs) And I definitely thought that my life was just a musical. Like I still remember sort of realizing, oh, actually not everyone just bursts into song all the time. So yeah, that was something that I sort of had to come to terms with as a kid. But Um, why? I mean, maybe it should be. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, maybe it should be. Maybe things would be more joyful. I don't know. (laughs) But yeah, so I, I actually grew up in East Africa and mostly in Kenya. And I started out singing in my church choir there. So it was a sort of African gospel church choir singing in English and Swahili at different services and stuff. And I learned the piano and I learned the violin. And when I was about 12, 13, my violin teacher sort of tricked me into accidentally auditioning at a music school in England, (laughs) which was Cheatham School of Music. And we were just on holiday as a family every two years or so, we would come and visit the grandparents and all that kind of thing. And so I thought I was just going to sort of play, play the violin. That was my thing at the time and see, it was sort of hard to tell because I didn't know anyone else that played the violin, you know, in Nairobi at the time. And so, yeah. And then they offered me a full scholarship to start immediately. So I had three days to decide if I would start in three weeks time and I just decided that I would do it so I wasn't yet 14 then and so I ended up going to this music school as a classical violinist but there I ended up singing in a classical chamber choir and that was my first experience of like really high quality amazing choral music and I just fell in love from there and that was also where I discovered jazz and my love of that music and then I went to Guildhall School of Music and Drama where at the time in order to go on the jazz course you had to also study on the classical course and that was perfect for me because I hadn't decided which way I wanted to go and there was a jazz choir there Mm -hmm. and I also sang with a gospel choir at a catholic church (laughs) while I was there so I really mixed it up and I did a lot of different kinds of choral singing 
singing it. I'd actually never heard of a cappella until I was, I mean, in my teens, like maybe 16 or something. And I heard Take Six's first album. And I just remember being that person, you know, like, can you believe they're doing this just with their voices? You know, <laughs> so, yeah, I do remember being that person. And so really that was all I knew about a cappella. Well, I didn't even know that it was called a cappella. I just knew that was Take Six and that was it. Um, well, it's, it's a good start. <laughs> it's not bad, is it? It's a pretty solid introduction. And so actually the first time I think I really heard the term a cappella was when I auditioned for the Swingles, however crazy that may seem. But I went to music college and I studied classical and jazz singing and composition as well. And then I was only out about six months, I think, before Joe, who had also studied on the classical course at Guildhall, she remembered me from some internal recital or something, found me on MySpace. That's how old I am. Uh, found me on MySpace where I had my number because of I don't know. I, felt, I was so naive there. It's just like, I've got all my music up on MySpace and here's my phone number. And, you know, yeah. And so she texted me and told me about it. And I thought, yeah, why not? I'll go for that audition. Didn't know anything about it. Yeah. And then I ended up being in the group for 11 years or something like that. Yeah, but I, I started pretty much exactly a year after I left music college. So it's been most of my adult life, really. Right. I could go a million different ways with this because I know everyone <laughs> is very curious as to what life is like as a swingle. Maybe let's talk a little bit about those early years, especially since the acapella world was so brand new to you. I mean, that's really diving into the deep end there. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, now I think about it, I think that's sort of why you and I connected because... I sort of realized, I don't know, the Swingles, it's a funny one because it's a group that doesn't only depend on an acapella audience, you know, like mm -hmm. it has its sort of own audience and it gets booked at classical festivals and jazz festivals and things like that. So the first couple of years, I just, we just did that and, you know, it was busy. I mean, there was one point where I think I'd been home a total of five days and five months, you know, it was really insane pre-market crash, you know. Right. And so, yeah, there was just a point where I think maybe I came across Sonos or something like that and I just was like oh there's all these other groups doing all this amazing stuff and I want to know all about it <laughs> and so I just kind of went on a blitz of like what can I find I was just finding out about Twitter at the same time so you know I just used that as a way to find everything I could you know the Swingles were known essentially as a, a classical jazz group and we all have seen the evolution especially over the last 10 to 15 years and I, I know that you were a big part of that so tell us a little bit about how that evolution kind of started well I suppose yeah I was part of the the part of the evolution that I was a part of because you know it started before me and it has continued after me you know but I hope that I was present you know while I was there <laughs> and yeah it was a very strange time because I'd never done anything like that before there was a, a very quick turnover in the first couple of years that I was in the group there's a point where there was someone leaving every six months and, and that sometimes happens I think it takes a while to like shift into a general generation and then there's some crossover and and so yeah it took a little a while before we sort of ended up with the lineup that we had maybe the longest when I was in the group and then once that happened that felt really different that was like okay we actually really know each other we know each other musically as well as personally and there can be some spontaneity and there can be more creativity because you can trust that knowledge that you have of each other and we would spend time writing and, and then of course the 50th anniversary came up and it's like well we have to make the most of that what does that mean and I think that brought maybe an extra level of intentionality to it what, 
we have the opportunity and the privilege of being the swingles at this moment what would we like that to mean in the 50th anniversary and I really feel proud of what we did with with Deep End for that 50th anniversary because there was a lot of amazing collaboration between us it felt like a really really creative absolutely and a lot of original music too and I know you mm. played a big hand in that what was it like tell us a little bit about the the songwriting process because I mean you wrote yeah. quite a bit for that album and yeah. the tracks that they still sing yeah yeah let me think I mean Piper that's an interesting one because I actually I I was trying to remember where that song started and I think it actually started at school in my teens that song there's quite a bit of teenage angst in there if you look at the <laughs> lyrics it's like yeah a teenager definitely wrote that song so there's a bit of that and I had just struggled to finish it I then I took it into music college I had this weird drum and bass version of it with a friend <laughs> that I did and actually some of those ideas came through as well and that was a really fun experience because we kind of just deliberately divvied up like okay we need to write this many tracks who's going to do what and so we had these sessions where we would bring the sort of seeds of new songs and at that time we would start rehearsals with improvisation and so that was really cool as well because I don't know I imagine anyone who sort of does anything administrative and creative stuff it's really hard to switch between the two <laughs> and so you know just getting into rehearsal it's like how do I sign off this time as being a creative thing and so we would do an improvisation and sometimes that would be five minutes sometimes it'd be 15 minutes um, and we'd always record it in case anything cool came out of it and so with yeah with Piper I don't remember if I chose or whether they wanted to be a part of it but Ollie and Ed wanted to help me finish the song so I'd written the sort of main idea and the first verse and I was like it needs a chorus it needs a second verse what are we going to do and I I can still picture sitting in my actually in the living room where you visited me in, in Stockwell <laughs> you know that same living room I can still remember you know Ollie coming up with this part Ed coming up with this part and and then once I sort of had all that basic material I then arranged it and we taught some of it by ear because I was like I don't want you to think about how this is written down just let's just learn it by ear and by the shapes we want and you know and with all the songs Narnia is a really interesting one so that one's by by Joe and it started because we'd actually finished most of our recordings for Deep End we were in this amazing studio called Brick Grove Studios and our producer said why don't you guys just improvise so we were all in different booths completely isolated but we could see each other through the glass it's like like absolute dream recording situation you know because it's hard layering stuff up isn't it you know but we were able to actually be in the moment together and so we improvised together and actually a lot of that stuff created the basis for Narnia which Joe wrote the song over the top of and we went in and tried to then re-record the ideas thinking oh, we'll record them better but actually we ended up just using the vocals from the improvisation because they they had the edge it was the moment and so that was it was just really cool it was you know we experimented a lot and yeah I learned so much through through doing that and I've never been great at collaborating and writing I think that's a really hard thing to do but that's been the most successful version of that I think for me so as this evolution came about and you released Deep End and more original music was coming out what kind of reaction were you getting what was the feedback that the swingles as a whole were getting with this style interesting a couple things jump out at me I don't remember exactly like feeling like oh the feedback was definitely this for Deep End but I remember some people being very excited about it and we were excited about it. And we also made that decision of being like, we're going to do what we want. So, you know, we sort of were prepared. There's always blowback. You can't please everybody. That's never going to happen. There's always going to be one person at the end of every show that says, I wanted more Bach. It's like, 
cool. There's plenty of albums. Off you go. Go and have a listen. <laughs> and so I do remember someone coming up to me and saying, because we used instruments, you know, it wasn't all right. a cappella. And so I remember them saying, you know, why did you have bass and drums on this track? And I remember, I don't remember if I said it to them or whether it was in my head, but I was like, well, why are you asking that question? Like, what, <laughs> what do you mean? And I knew what they meant. But I think for us, it was like, we're just going to make music and we're not going to worry about rules of a cappella or rules of the swingles or anything like that. And didn't um, the swingles start singing with bands exactly. behind them? <laughs> exactly. And the same thing happens with what it's been called over the years as well. And, you know, now the group being called the swingles, it's been called the swingles at other times in the history as well, even when Ward was in the group. But I understand it. You know, there's a few artists, you know, I'm like, I just wish that they made that one album and they toured that all the time for the rest of my life. You know, <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> people have their relationship with albums and that you know and that's cool but yeah that was cool because we gigged it a bit like that as well we had a bass player and a drummer gig with us a little bit as well especially in London and it was awesome it was so nice because this is one of the things I used to enjoy about doing orchestral gigs is that you would then be like close harmony vocal harmony you didn't have to also be the band right and that's one of the special things about acapella I really enjoy that too but because we did that so much at the time it felt really refreshing to be like oh we could seven singers all on the lyrics at this point if we want you know we can be one texture all together if we want to and still have a groove you know and things like that and especially for Kevin and Ed you know to (laughs) to get um, to sing words (laughs) yeah exactly you know because they're great singers as well as instrument pretenders I don't know that wasn't the right way to say that but (laughs) well I mean I appreciate that too because now that I've started working more and more back with instrumentalists and and bands Mm. the vocals aren't always the strong point of bands like really entertaining Mm. bands so it's like why are we hiding all of this talent just in acapella why are we limiting ourselves yes exactly and there's so much so much music that is really vocal heavy and vocal harmony heavy but I think the stuff that's the most successful often isn't purely acapella because the choices have been made without the parameters already there you know it's like what does this song need that's what we're going to do rather than it's got to be acapella so how are we going to do that because <laughs> that sometimes is the best thing right but not for everyone all the time and so having that freedom, oh, I can do what I want. It's all music. It's great. Yeah. Well, speaking of the in- instruments, you have now gone on post swingles to new careers, new musical endeavors. Can you tell us a little bit about what you're doing now? Yeah. So it's sort of new and it's sort of old because I sort of feel like I've gone back on the path I was originally on a bit more, maybe, yeah, with all the swingle stuff under my belt. So I studied at Guildhall School of Music and Drama, where I got my jazz degree. And now I'm back there as a vocal jazz professor and also as the faculty chair for the vocal, for the jazz vocalists. So yeah, I do a lot of things. I teach oral and transcription. I teach improvisation, harmony, one-to-one, all kinds of stuff. And I have a choir I have a choir and you know that's just such an interesting thing because you know we would go and do lots of workshops in the swingles and you get to go and do that sort of one hit wonder thing Mm -hmm. where you just it's the the hit and run that's what I meant you know (laughs) where someone else has done all the hard work and you get to just come in and just say a few nice things and it sounds great and here's my unicorn dust and I'm I'm exactly (laughs) yeah exactly you just bring the unicorn dust it's probably even provided you know you bring the unicorn dust from the rider you know I would always look those directors and with just a little bit of envy in that they could stay you know they choose that rep they get to invest in those people um, and see something through and also you know working in a group like the swingles I mean one of the reasons I think I learned so much from that experience is because of how collaborative it is but it also means that you can't necessarily just say I have this idea and we're going to see it through to the and that 
you know, that's how it should be. But when, yeah, when it comes to the choir and being the teachers, I felt like I had this sort of new power, if you like, to just be like, <laughs> I can have an idea and test it out totally. And that's totally on me if it doesn't work. Right. But it was, yeah, it felt like the right time to to explore that. And I'm absolutely loving it. I I just, I can't tell you how much I love it. So you're talking a little bit about the differences between your experience with the Swingles and the collaborative environment and now being the teacher mm. and kind of leading. What else from your Swingles experience has kind of carried over into what you're doing now? Oh, everything, everything. I'm always surprised the things that come up. I think one of the things that maybe has been the most powerful coming in is, and this would frustrate promoters, you know, not being able to clearly brand the swingles as one thing or another, that would always stress them out a lot. We're like, why does it matter? You know, <laughs> but being able to then articulate when I'm hearing students in any context, it's choosing your vocal tone, choosing things, phrasing stylistically, and being able to start to articulate how they can make choices based on who they want to be and what they want to sound like, so that we don't just have a load of carbon copies, you know, and that's cool in a, in a choir setting. Like, I, you know, I just had my first rehearsal with my new lineup for this year at Guildhall. And so we're doing a new Christmas arrangement that I've... And it's a funny, like, mix of, of faux classical choral with jazz harmony and some jazz rhythmic stuff as well and so we had to dissect a little bit like well you know how are we going to phrase this and what kind of tone is this and is this classical and you know and is this jazz and what does that mean and what does that mean for phrasing and I think I'm only able to articulate those things from the endless nerdy discussions that we have <laughs> in rehearsal in the swingles you know and all coming from different backgrounds you know I think it has definitely given me many of my tools as a teacher from having to make a unified thing work from so many different people. Well, and I have to say one of my favorite things about the Swingles, aside from all of you being lovely human beings, <laughs> is the way that you presented classical music. And it, it had its own twist, but it was never, mm. it never felt stuffy. It never felt inaccessible mm. the way that you all sang it for example joe wanted to do eric whittaker's uh, a boy and a girl i don't know if you ever heard mm -hmm. us do that and and i think you know i sort of remember her being excited to bring this choral piece but do it our way and i've i've always been quite impacted by how to make that colloquial seeming in terms of vowels and so you just hear, really hear the lyrics you know and that made a big impression on me actually doing that doing that eric whitaker that that way the more modern classical style pieces are starting i think it make it's kind of like a gateway drug for for younger <laughs> for younger singers because they're like oh you know i really like this style and then you're like well it's actually mm. really tied to this style back here mm. that you think is maybe not as cool but look at the similarities mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. yeah yeah absolutely and I you know I said to to the choir it was yesterday gosh time is I've got no concept of time <laughs> passing at the moment I, can you sing this like a classical choir now because I want to hear what that sounds like and it sounded great but a, you know a classical audience wouldn't have thought that sounded like a classical choir but even just their impression of what that meant they had to do was exactly right for that moment. So yes, yeah, interesting problem solving and trying things out. And My son, the one I mentioned at the top of the episode, who is now 12. <laughs> what? That's so crazy. Right? So he is oh. now officially joined a choir at our church and they do more traditional awesome. pieces and he's learning solfege and he's learning all of these things yeah. and he's like, mom, it's just so weird. Meanwhile, I mean, he can, his pitch recall is amazing. He'll walk in and he'll hear yeah. some elevator music in the background in a store and he'll 
he'll come out and he'll be singing the whole thing. Yeah. But, you know, it was it was kind of funny to watch him be like, Solfege is, what is the word he's using now? Cringy because of all the hand Cringy. the hand movements. Uh-huh. He's like, Mom, uh-huh. why do oh, I yeah, have terrible to, why do I have to oh, dance yeah, while I sing? <laughs> like yeah. sound of music so but it I'm glad that he's learning it because it's it's a better yeah. foundation for him instead of just like you yeah. said carbon copy of what he hears on the radio yeah well it's funny you bring up the solfege because actually I'm a new convert I never learned it myself neither did I I'm, I'm all about it as a teacher I have it's been crazy especially you know I spend so much of my time trying to help singers be able to understand modal harmony and modal improvisation and actually know what they're singing when they're improvising so not just doing things by ear but actually knowing what note they're singing when and and making choices like that and it was okay at first and as soon as I started introducing sulfur it just clicked it was incredible so yeah I'm very deep down this rabbit (laughs) hole now of modal sulfur business and adapting my own little version so yeah if any students have ever learned it before they're like I didn't do it like that before I was like yeah well that's all right (laughs) I didn't do it at all I wish I had (laughs) my my sight reading skills would have come along a lot faster I think if I had (laughs) well what's amazing amazing about it is for people who want to improve reading and stuff like that it is amazing but for my students who have perfect pitch it helps them to think about function instead of just isolated pitches so it's this incredible unifier you know between people who think in two different ways it sort of helps balance it out absolutely all right well we have a few more minutes so let's get into <laughs> some of the fun stuff because my favorite thing about Claire is that you're just so much fun and then you just happen to be <laughs> wickedly talented on stage so 11 years is a long time to be on the road with other very mm. fun people. Do you have a road trip story that stands out in your mind? The one that you'll tell your great-grandchildren of this one time when we were out and... Oh my goodness. Yeah, I should probably have these like written down because I always forget when it comes to the moment. But the one that comes to mind as like the sign of when something's really working... Well, when things are really not working and other things are really working. Something that became known as the Santa Fe effect. (laughs) So that gives you a little clue as to where we were headed. We were in Madrid, maybe? We were, that was not Santa Fe. And I remember Kevin lost his laptop on the first leg of the flight. I must have lost something because that's my thing. I lose things. And we got to like... I don't know, like Dallas or somewhere. And there was a snowstorm or a hurricane or something. I can't remember because I've got several stories that all involve hurricanes and <laughs> snowstorms and whatever. We ended up finding a diff- having to go to a different airport, sleeping overnight on the airport floor. Then we made it to like Albuquerque and then we had to drive somewhere else. But then we lost all our luggage. So then we had to go to Target to buy all new clothes for the show (laughs) and then we made it to Santa Fe you know to this theater or whatever 30 minutes before the show oh my gosh and we didn't have any of our equipment I can't remember what happened about our equipment but yeah we'd lost everything and the whole journey took 36 hours that's how long it took like we were supposed to have a day off in between you know that's how wrong the travel went and everyone was so great about it we were like delirious from fatigue you know and hadn't eaten, hadn't slept and, and whatever. And everything was hilarious. You know, it was just like, we're just high on no sleep. And it was just like the funnest show ever. I don't know if it was to the audience, there's no way to know. But <laughs> yeah, it was just, it was so much fun. And that, yeah, that became known as the Santa Fe. That is for anyone that's like, oh, maybe I want to be a touring musician. It's like, those are oh. the things that happen. It's hard. You know, you'd do it for, forever if it wasn't for that stuff, I think. You know, I think it's, it's really hard living like that that means that you can't always 
just do it forever. Some people can, but it's re- it's hard. And, it's hard. you know, I think some people, especially in the acapella community who see getting into a group like that as the and then mm. saying, you know, why? Why would you ever leave? Why wouldn't you do it until you just mm. physically can't anymore? And then, mm. you know, you think about what life is like when you're on the road, when you said home for five days in five months. Mm. That's yeah, it's exciting, but yeah. it's exhausting. Well, this is the thing in my 20s that was perfect for me and I actually never cared if I went home and I was single so like you know it didn't really matter where I was I love meeting new people love being in new place it was ideal for me in my 20s and I never had that like oh I just want a night in my own bed yeah I've never been much of a home person I'm quite a restless soul (laughs) I guess and then I started to feel a bit burdened by the fact that I didn't really feel connected with home I think because I grew up abroad as well like England never really properly like home for me until Nick and I started dating and then I was like oh well my boyfriend lives in America so it doesn't really matter if I feel at home here or not because (laughs) you know I can let myself off the hook a bit and but then once I had a somebody that I cared about seeing it yeah it was a bit different (laughs) I bet well 11 years is a long time and you're still Mm. I I mean you're still making an impact and still (laughs) doing music so it's nice to see that and hope you know this all will end and I will get to come to London or you will get to come back to the United States and we'll get to spend some time to travel that's the only thing you know you spend 11 years traveling all the time and then it all just stops and you're like yeah I don't know that I know how to do this like I packed a suitcase for a three-day small little vacation and I can't mm. bear to unpack it yeah I was so used like, this to is the proof it happened yeah. but I was so used to just leaving my suitcase and then like kind of taking uh-huh. a few things out and putting a well, few you leave things the back essentials in. in don't you because right. you don't want to have to repack them every time yeah. oh I guess I could just put that away but <laughs> it has lived there for so long I've got the same thing I went to join New York Voices on the Germany summer camp and that was you know that was the first time I've been out of the country since pre-COVID and yeah I think I'm fully unpacked from that actually very much it's habit it's a habit well Claire it has been such an honor to have you on the show it's been a long time that I've wanted to have you you on and so I'm finally I'm very sorry, Chris, who's going to listen to this and just be really sad, but we'll oh, have I'm to make... I'm I didn't get to meet you, Chris. <laughs> we'll have to make an extra effort to make sure that you get to meet her and maybe get to sing together again sometime soon, because oh, I do miss be it. But Yeah. Thank you so much for joining us, Claire. Oh, thank you for having me. It's been great and great to see you. I can see him on Zoom, you see, so <laughs> we're having a good old, good old time on Zoom. <laughs> well, and for our audience, we will, quote unquote, we'll see you next Tuesday. <laughs>